All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, suffers? What the fuckricans? Oh, I did it. I got an email from a dude in the sedan. He said, what about us? What the fuckricans? Fuckricans. Yeah. Why am I so happy with myself? Look, don't hit the forward button. I got some information I need to uh, parlay. I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. This is my show. You're listening to it, and I appreciate that. This is a great one. The amazing, the fucking phenomenal, the, I mean, transcendent Lucinda Williams is here. I couldn't be more fucking thrilled about this. To have Lucinda Williams in my garage, are you kidding me? Love her. Was thoroughly intimidated. But not in, 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 it was all, I made up, I made it all up. But wait, let's do this. I don't want to forget to do this because I forgot to promote something. There's a live WTF at the Trippany House in the Steve Allen Theater tomorrow night, Tuesday, January 29th at 8 p.m. Please come. I'd completely forgotten to publicize it. So if you're in L.A., it's Tuesday. Come on. It's going to be a good show. Jason Nash, the always angry at something. Jason Nash, he's completely unhappy because he's got a lovely wife and family. Uh, Christina Pazitsky, hope I said that right. Hilarious. Uh, Matt Kirshen. Hope I said that right. From Britain, he's a very sort of a he's a, a British Jew. How now that in and of itself, and uh, the lovely Jeff Richards, and there, he's nuts, and he sings and stuff, and of course Jim Earl, Eddie Pepitone, I believe, is still out of town. So it's live WTF at the Trippany House in the Steve Allen Theater tomorrow night, Tuesday. Come to that. Sorry, yeah, I got it. Okay, I got it. I got the thing. All right, it's not the flu, but it's the thing. Wait, I'm not done. I'm not done. Albany, this Friday at The Egg. That's this Friday, the 1st of February. Correct? Correct. At The Egg in Albany. Saturday in Washington, D.C. at the 6th and I Synagogue. Believe is close to sold out. You can try. But here's what I want to talk to you about. Ohio. Ohio, listen to me. Ohio, specifically Cincinnati and Columbus, Ohio, February 14th at Bogarts in Cincinnati. If you guys don't buy your tickets soon, I'm going to think that I don't have people up there, which is okay, but I know there's a few of you, but I thought there might be more. I, you know, Ohio might not be my place. I know there's some of you that are there for me, but I don't know that there's a lot of you there. I just, February 15th at the Capitol Theater in Columbus, Ohio. I just don't know. Is Ohio not my thing? I, I mean, that happens. I'm not, I'm specific. I'm an acquired taste. Some people don't like me. Some people are, Fast forwarding through this, but Ohio, I need you. February 14th, Bogarts in Cincinnati. Get those tickets. February 15th, Capitol Theater in Columbus. Or else Live Nation will think, uh, who cares what they think? But I thought, I thought I had love in Ohio, but like I can understand how maybe I don't, but I'm not going to complain about it. As I said, I'm not a demographic. It's a disposition. Perhaps Ohio's much more well-adjusted than I thought. Is that it? Is that all we need? Oh, second printing of the DVD with the first 100 episodes in MP3 files that you can download is available at WTFPod.com for $39.99. All right? Yes, I have it. I have the thing. It's a cold. I don't have a flu. I don't know when it became this difficult to decide between the two. A flu is aches and pains and fever, and you're completely annihilated. A cold is... I was struck with this cold. They they seem more virulent. Is cold the cold is a virus? The flu is a virus, right? Cold's not bacteria. I break it down for me. I'm not a scientist. 
but I was hit with this thing. I was struck, struck with a head full of snot. I was like, I feel like something's coming. Then boom, you're drowning in your own mucus. Your brain is become viscous and you might lose it out your nose. I'm neti potting, although I know you frightened me with the amoebas and the brain parasites. I boil the water. I use distilled water. I'm very cautious. But now I'm in. I'm in. I don't know how long it's going to last. I hope it goes away soon. I, I'm okay, but I, I feel for all you people. I don't think the flu's gotten here yet. Yeah, I've, I've got a very uh, sort of high-end creative bacteria in my sinuses that I think I picked up at Sundance. Pow, look out. I just shit my pants. God, can you believe Lucinda Williams is here? Can you fucking believe that? I was just in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I couldn't tell you I was going, but uh, I, I went. I went to my friend's 50th surprise party. This is a kid I've known since second grade, since Hebrew school, since fucking Hebrew school. David Kleinfeld, great guy. And look, it's bizarre, man. There were people there I haven't seen really much in 20, 30 years. 30 years, there's people that I haven't seen in decades. When did I become that guy? It was a little weird, though, because I'm at the party. I saw some people, and then I didn't really realize how difficult it is to sort of like, all right, what, how much, uh, let's catch up a little bit. All right, the last time I saw you was that when we were in the car in high school and you threw up, and then what happened after that? What happened? Did, did you, oh, you have kids? Oh, seriously. Wow, you've been divorced twice? No kidding. Really, that's your business? You invented that? I had no idea. Oh my God. It was daunting to cover that much time. But you know what's weird? When you see somebody you haven't seen in that long, 20 years, 30 years, is that my memories are, are sort of like in some kind of amber of high school or of Hebrew school, even younger. These guys I knew when we were so young, like third grade, fourth grade, and they're just suspended there in an amber of my mind. I know those kids. I was that kid that hung out with them, but I remember them almost exactly like they were uh, at that time. And the bizarre thing is, is they're not that different. You know, they're the same, we're the same people. Like I think in my mind, that I've changed all, like I'm, I'm almost undecipherable from that kid I was in high school. I, I didn't, that guy was, you know, a, a, a sort of frightened mess, unlike the the fully unfrightened, unanxious guy I am now. But I, but these guys, it's, it's amazing. It's like the same guy is in there. You know they're in there, but they're just sort of beat up a little bit. They're a little chiseled, a little fatter, a little, little, uh, uh, a little broken, but they're all faring pretty well, those who are still with us. And it was, a, it was a pretty amazing thing. And I stayed at this place in Albuquerque. I grew up in the Northwest Valley. Uh, for those of you who are familiar, back in the day, there was a guy who lived at the end of my street that actually owned a herd of buffalo uh, off Rio Grande Avenue, uh, Rio Grande Boulevard. There was a herd of buffalo that I grew up with. And uh, I lived down that street. And then just up Rio Grande a little bit, there were these this giant piece of property with these two families living in these giant houses. One was like a old style mansion. The other was like a hacienda. And they'd been there forever, the, the houses. They originally belonged to one of the, I guess, original landowners, the big landowners of New Mexico. And I knew both families, the Rembys and the Walkers. I, I went to school with the Rembys since, you know, there were four of them. There were three boys and a girl, Emily. And I went to, you know, elementary school with them. Uh, Emily and I were the same age. I was in love with her in, in junior high. 
But long story short, they have made the entire property, the Remby family, it's all their property now. The Walkers are gone and they've made it into like a uh, a retreat, like a, an inn with a restaurant and a farm and they have a farm store and they turn the bigger house into like an event place for weddings and stuff. And I figured, fuck it, let's go stay down there. This Los Poblanos inn, an organic farm. And uh, it was so bizarre because I'd been in those houses. The barn is where I killed the pigeon. That's where the pigeon death occurred. Cody Walker, who lived in the big house, they were cousins. The Remy's and the Walkers were cousins. He took me out to that barn with a fucking pellet gun and it was full of pigeons and I shot one. And I, you know, I think I told you about this. It's still, it like there's a scar on my heart from that fucking pigeon. But I had a lovely time. And I will say this completely, uh, you know, from my own uh heart here not you know, not because if you want to go to, to to northern new mexico if you want to get a real feel of the place check out that los poblanos place man it's reasonably priced and you're on this big piece of property and it, it feels like my childhood i guess that's what i'm saying if you want to feel my childhood you know go check it out please listen to my conversation with the tra- i can't tell you man when i fucking heard car wheels on a gravel road that record, I was like, who is this woman? How is this so raw? How is this so fucking earnest and great? How come her band sounds so fucking good? I was in love with Lucinda Williams from a record. That's the power of it, man. And the song Lake Charles brings tears to my eyes to this day. And I asked Lucinda to play that. So that's gonna happen. So here's me and Lucinda Williams. Um, Lucinda Williams is in my garage, and I'm very uh, nervous about it. I'm nervous. Well, I'm a little nervous. Why? Um, I'm okay. I spent the day um, listening to uh, to like all your music because I have most of it. But I had Lake Charles, the song. I must have listened to like thirty or forty times in a row uh, when it first came out because it used to. uh, it, It actually made me cry for some reason. Do you hear yeah. that a lot? You just nodded like, yes. Well, that's... it made me cry when I was writing it. Now, something, so, was that about a specific person? Yeah, that was about this guy I lived with for four years, I guess, back in the early 80s Yeah, um, when I was living in Texas. Yeah. I spent 10 years back and forth in Austin and Houston. Houston? And, uh, Huh? Houston. Yeah, there was a. Well, this was in the seventies. <laughs> okay, so and there was a cool scene there at the time. Okay, yeah, there's some good uh, comics come out of Houston, actually. Yeah. So okay, so this and guy. So he was from. It's all true. He's uh-huh. he's from Nacogdoches, Texas, East Texas. Uh, he was just one of these. You know, his parents were well off, and but. You know, he was the bad seed. Up. Can yeah. we say the F's? Sure, word? so you can okay. fuck away. His were <laughs> his parents were, you know, members of the country club. They were right. both alcoholics. Right. He was, you know, a brilliant guy. Yeah. Funny, charming, yeah. but just kind of a fuck up. Right. You know. So. And eventually, of he, course, those are the kind of guys that I, I, I was compl- drawn to. Yeah. Because yeah. of the, you know, the his personality and charm and yeah. this and that. He was a great cook. He would cook up a big pot of gumbo. And, Not a you musician. Know. Well, he was, but, you know, he wanted to be. 
and and then, he was a bass player. And he uh, was into he loved R and B and what happened? You know, exactly. black southern music and yeah. He just he died of uh, I guess technically his liver gave out. Oh my god! And the doctors told him that he could have lived had he, but it would have meant he would have had to completely change his diet. You know, no more gumbo, no more spicy foods, <laughs> no more booze, <laughs> no more beer, booze. Yeah. And, um, you know, he decided to go with the he gumbo. He just w- wanted to go. He went with the gumbo. <laughs> and, you know, I the difference between who you are now and, and then, yeah. I mean, do you ever listen to those records and think like my question when I was listening to them today is like, would you ever go back and do all those blues covers now? Could well, you imagine what you would do with them now? Yeah, I d- and I do them yeah. sometimes live a lot, some of those songs, you know, but the thing about me is, I mean, I grew up in a time when it was this sort of, you know, it was kind of labeled the singer-songwriter thing. It was kind of more by default, just right. because it was my guitar and me, you Right, know? You, you weren't, it wasn't a rock, um, it was almost a, an extension of folk. Yeah, but right. I mean, over the years, I grew and developed into doing other things with bands and stuff, but I was always, even back then in the 70s when I was starting out playing and, you know bars and coffee houses and things i mean you know i would sing a song by i would do a Jimi hendrix song i'd do a hank williams song and a robert johnson song you know and i was starting to doing a few of my own songs yeah i always mixed it up and i always listened to a lot of different kinds of stuff you know like the pretenders and talking heads while i was listening to nick drake and oh yeah Bruce coburn and you know so it was i guess what i'm trying to say is you know, I, it just took me a while over the years to, to kind of your voice. go to where I yeah. always kind of wanted to be, you know. You knew that um, then, though, where you wanted to be? Yeah. Well, I kind of knew. I mean, you know, I just, I was always exploring and listening to, I was influenced by so much, so many different kinds you, of music. Like when I heard Christy Hine and the Pretenders, I went, oh my God, like, yeah. you know, I want to make a record like that. A, you a know? chick who rocks. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, more of a rock I, thing. But I didn't have a band for a long time. It was just I it was me and my guitar, like I said, or me, me by myself, or maybe one guitar player. Right. Well, we, we're like the same so, age, and like we sort of got that that like the music of our time. Yeah. Was kind of like eh, for a few years there in the early seventies. Yeah, and, the seventies was a weird decade for right? me because the punk thing was happening, but I didn't really, I didn't connect. I kind of missed at it at the time. Yeah. And what I was doing at that time was starting to write my own songs and, like I said, you know, listening, kind of exploring older music, like all the Delta Blues stuff. Well, what was the first thing? Because you know? I, 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 I'm, I'm driven the same way. I usually say I have a blues-based brain. And yeah. uh, we kind of got the crashing wave of the 60s and all those you know rock bands of that time. Right. And then all the Brit bands who were tracing back the blues. And I, yeah. think, I, got, I, I think I got to Robert Johnson through the Stones uh, initially. Yeah. But was that when, um, when, how old were you when you started, when you first heard that stuff? And when it, I first heard Robert Johnson, I was probably 17, something like that. Did you even know um, what to do? 17 like, or 18. Well, brain? yeah, because I'd already been listening to Miss, my dad would bring home records. He would bring home Light and Hopkins albums and Mississippi John Hurt. Oh, yeah, those are great. Yeah. And, uh, but of course, Robert Johnson was a thing. I mean, he. It was like something from another planet. It was like the you Rosetta know, Stone just, or something. Like you, you had to just, wrap your brain around. Yeah, it. it was just a whole other deal. Yeah. And this friend of mine who played, he was a little bit older than I was. You need that. And guy. he played blues guitar, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> and he turned me on to that. You know, when Sony 
or Columbia released those twenty songs those or whatever Robert Johnson yeah. albums, and you know I flipped out. Everybody else flipped. That's all I listened to. And you it know, just it wired and, your brain for that stuff. Yeah, but well, I'd already been, you know, look, listening to a lot of the folk blues and all that, like Mississippi John Hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then that, you like, know, what was it? Did you think that was so appealing about Robert Johnson? There's something like sort of darkly magical. It was dark. About it was dark. It like was you just dark. heard it. Yeah, it and, was dark and magical and sexy and just fucked up. You know. Right, and then did you his know that, legend, of mm-hmm. course, went along with the whole thing. Yeah. Were you? Were, were you? you know, how, can I you mean, separate the two? I mean, did you know the legend? Like, did the guy who turned you on to Robert Johnson say, like, "Oh, and this dude went to the crossroads"? Um, I, I kind of that was already coming out at that time. Yeah. You know, people were already talking about, but some of the lines, like, you know squeeze my lemon till the juice run down my leg or something yeah like yeah, run yeah. Down, and i was just yeah. oh my god i know you what know, he's talking like, about it was so it was just so you know but i'd been i was really into the doors when yeah. i was at like 15 and 16 into him you know? or the music and everything the music everything the darkness the lyrics and you know it's weird it's so he dark was doing that blues thing you yeah know, that um he did that Helen wolf song i think it was um Backdoor man. Backdoor man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's so weird with so, the doors though, because it's so dark. But that you know, because it don't have a bass and it's just that silly piano, right. it always sounds sort of jaunty. I <laughs> I had a really hard time. If it weren't for Jim Morrison singing that yeah. the Doors music, I was like, Ugh, I just couldn't. It, there wasn't. Well, enough. you know, as a girl, teenage girl in New yeah. Orleans in the '60s, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, absolutely. The guy, you know, yeah. look at him. Yeah. So, with his, his where'd enigma. you grow up? I was born in Lake Charles. Um, my dad's family's all from, from, I'm sorry, my mother's family's all from Louisiana. My dad's family all hailed from Arkansas. Um, Arkansas? Yeah. I don't really know anything about Arkansas. Well, yeah. It's kind of a, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's its own place. Yeah. Like different parts of the South. Um, well, you write it on, the on, on well, what was it, on West. There, there's, sort, there's a song in there that sort of talks about how all these towns are no longer what they used to be that yeah. nobody like I, I imagine with the amount of time that you spend on the road it's hard to find anything authentic or interesting anymore and like I, I imagine that you have some memories in your childhood about when these places had some personality yeah to them. well you could still find those places but now that they've built freeways you, you can know, just drive right through don't right. have to even you don't even have to connect so that's what happened over the years you know the last 50 years or whatever all the little mom and pop places got left behind because it used to be Route 66, right. for instance. You I grew know. up in Albuquerque, right, right. through Albuquerque. exactly. Yeah. I love that yeah. area there. Yeah, you know, beautiful. But unless you get off the interstate and take the time, you know, but when we, you and I were growing up, you know, so you could just go all and the find little places yeah. and, and stuff like that, so, you know. So what, you, your, your father was a teacher? Yeah, he was, he is a poet and he taught college, you know, for years and years. So we would, you know, until he... Eventually, he achieved tenure, as they call it, oh, yeah, what at school? the University of Arkansas. Uh-huh. But up until that time, you know, he would teach for a year or two here, a year or two there. Yeah. So um, he taught at LSU and Baton Rouge. He taught at Loyola, New Orleans. So you got to grow up in that environment with like people the college towns, lofty things and groovy uh, people academia, hanging around. Yes. But good academia, like liberal Very arts good academia. Ac- academia. Yeah. And let me tell you. I never realized once I, you know, grew up and left home how much I was going to miss that environment. Yeah. Because then I was just surrounded by a bunch of, you know, 
singer-songwriter, smoking a bunch of pot. It was kind of a shock, culture shock when I left that environment, went out into the world on my own, and was so disappointed. because <laughs> In what? Well, you know, I'm just hanging around with a bunch of potheads who yeah. are politically apathetic for the most part. Right. You know, nobody, I'm used to, you know, all arguments these, um, in the they, living room. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Passionate Political arguments. arguments, passionate arguments till About three Marxist in the morning. Theories. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, my dad would read a poem and yeah. everybody drank, you know, wine. Jack Daniels. Oh, Jack Daniels. Oh, no, no. These no guys wine. are hardcore. So, uh, like bourbon and, you know, whiskey or scotch. Uh huh. So your dad would sit down and he would, like, you know, actually at some point in the evening stand up and jam some poems. Yeah, he would read a couple of poems sometimes, or he'd ask me to go get my guitar, and I'd sing. And so I started getting, that was, you know, how in my younger years I, you know, I had that kind of um, supportive environment. But do you remember the first time your mind was blown by, like, you know, somebody, like, outside of the guy that showed you uh, the Robert Johnson record? I mean, there must have been these moments where you're just listening to these grown-ups tell poetry, or there must have been one or two where you're like, what the fuck is that dude about? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know. Sure. I wasn't really. I got into E.E. E. Cummings. Oh, you that, know. that's great. Yeah, because it's a little simpler. And it's sweet. Yeah. And there's a lot of weird but, letters here and there. That, yeah. And, yeah, no that, punctuation. Everything's yeah. small letters, right? Most yeah. of it? Yeah. Who were some of the other poets? Well, you know, the, my dad's mentor was John Charty, the late John Charty. Oh, I wish I knew um, him. And, well, he was the director of the Breadleaf Writers Conference. Uh-huh. And that was a big part of my experience growing up was going, because my dad was on the staff there. Yeah. The Writers Conference. Yeah. In Middlebury, Vermont. And uh, so you'd fly out every year? We'd go in the summer in August and... You know, and people would write. It was one of those people, things. Well, where... they would have workshops. You know, younger up and coming writers would be there, and there'd be a staff of writers. You know, yeah. like Maxine Cumin and my uh-huh. dad and John Charty. And um, was there I ever a time you know. where you thought, like, I'm going to be a poet? No, not really. Isn't it a weird world? Like, it, it's... it's a whole different deal. And every it... time I'd try to write what I thought was maybe a poem, my dad would say. Honey, I think that wants to be a song. Oh, well, thank God he didn't say, honey, you know. that shit. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he steered would, you in the right direction. He would give me lyrics sometimes to try to put music to or something. And, oh, really? You know, so Did you do it? No. You know, <laughs> I think yeah. it was the same, similar kind of a thing. That, yeah. You know, I, I learned early on that there, those are two different worlds. Poetry and, and songwriting. Songwriting, yeah. Some people would argue that fact. I, in fact, I could Songwriters remember, would probably argue it. Yeah. Well, my I remember my dad's, you know, having these late into the night debates with his songwriting students. Yeah. He would be over at the house. Oh, he about, taught songwriting? No. I mean, his portrait oh, okay, students, yeah. sorry. About whether Bob Dylan was a songwriter or a po- or both or a poet, oh you God. know. And where'd he fall on that argument? He said, no, he's a songwriter. Oh, my God. He's not a poet. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. So we had a bunch of young minds yelling at him oh, that yeah. he didn't understand. <laughs> he wasn't. He didn't like the doors or any of the... How could he not know? like Dylan? I mean, as a poet. No, he think. liked Dylan. Mm-hmm. But, but he just wasn't going to give him. He like, just said, "No, he's a songwriter." I guess poets are not. You know, you're not supposed to make money. It's a different. If you're a poet. 
Yeah. <laughs> you got that's the weird thing about poetry. As great as all these poets well, it are, is it's different. academic it's... in the way that where else are they going to find their homes? I I, I know that mm-hmm. you know poetry has this power and it has this truth. And I like yeah. poetry. I wanted to be a poet at some point, but at some point you realize like how how am I going to that's earn a the living? Thing. They all te- teach. Yeah, they have to. Yeah. Wait, what do you, what else are you going to do? There's I don't think there's going to be a poem that comes out in America that is going to change the culture completely. Yeah. You, you know, like you read about like uh, Central American uh, revolutions and there's always the poets at the forefront of these things. Yeah. Like, what kind of fucking poems are these? They got to be amazing. But I, I've never read uh, too many American poems that changed everything. Well, how about Allen Ginsberg? Did you ever read that? Yeah, I read a little bit of it. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. So when you started playing, why did you go... Uh, like Folkways, what is it? Folkways Smithsonian is that? Yeah, because they were they they did. They were huge. They were it, yeah. They were a big. But it was for know, mostly folk. Stuff. Yeah, they did all that. You know those field recordings and everything. Right. The know? Alan Lomax recording. Right. Yeah. Those are those are John amazing. And Alan yeah. Lomax. Yeah. And yeah. and so were you looked at as some sort of artifact of American well, music? I think that's kind of how. I don't know how they were looking at it. I mean, at the time. I had a friend from New Orleans who had moved to New York City and made this album on Folkways. Who was that? And his name was... What? <laughs> his name was Jeff Ampolsk. Uh-huh. Ampolsk. Ampolsk. Uh-huh. A-M-P-O-L-S-K. And his album was called God, Guts, and Guns. Yeah! <laughs> that sounds powerful. And it was on Folkways. Yeah. And he got in touch with me and said... You know, you should make a record for Folkways. They would get, I'll give you some money and you could go make a record. And I said, okay, wow. Because I knew all about what Folkways was and everything. And they sent me a check for $200 yeah. and a one page contract. And yeah. this was when Mo Ash was still there. Yeah. Running the thing. Uh huh. And, Big um, spender. Yeah. <laughs> and you probably thought and it was I, great. I thought, wow, I did at the <laughs> time, you know. Yeah. Because all my folk heroes had all been on, you know, I had the John and Alan Lomax Folk Song USA songbook and all that, you know. So you're part of a tradition. Right. Yeah. And when you look back at those records, do you love them? No. (laughs) What don't you? Why not? (laughs) Well, I just like the way I sound better now. Yeah. But can you hear like, uh, is there there some part of you that like, can you go back and, and, and feel... Like, you know, where your voice was at then or where kind you... Kind of, yeah. I mean, the reason I didn't do any of my own songs on the first Folkways album was because I thought that Folkways was like a sort of, you know, archival so thing, you better like play you blues. were saying. Right. And I didn't think they were interested in my own stuff, so I just did all the... They're, know, they're covers great covers. Now, who was the band on that? Because, I mean, it seems like a lot of your evolution... That's just me and one guy on the first... And the second yeah. one, there was more, though, right? The second right? one was the first time I... Re- well, actually, we didn't even have a drummer. We recorded the second one initially in Houston, Texas, at um, Sugar Hill Studios. Yeah. With Mickey Moody. And did it in about three days. And I went in one day, and he had brought a drummer in and overdubbed drums onto the track. And <laughs> at some point, he absconded with the money that you know, and left town or something. How much money? Well, Folkways gave me $500 for that one. So. <laughs> but then a friend of mine threw in some more and helped, <laughs> you know, And this dude just the split with time. the bread? Yeah. And you never saw him the again? The studio called and one day and said, we haven't gotten paid yet. And 
Did you ever track that dude down? No. He had worked (laughs) at... That's where Huey Moe, Sugar Hill Studio is famous for recording a... uh, What was that guy, that um, Mexican country singer, Mexican-American guy? Oh, uh... When the last teardrop falls, uh, I'll be there. Yeah, 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 Freddie, Freddie... Freddie... Freddie Fender. Fender. Yeah. That was, they had that big hit out of there. Yeah. And that was Huey Moe and Mickey Moody was his assistant. So, so when you were, when you were doing what was essentially like blues and country music, like I know, like I know you had a relationship, uh, professional or, but I know, you know, Steve Earle and I know that there was this whole movement at some point to sort of maybe reinvent country a little bit. Was there, was there a thought in your mind that you were going to be able to play mainstream country? No. Ever? Because, well, I mean, I guess you're talking about the kind of country music that's on the Nashville radio stations, that kind of, well, yeah, because mainstream country is today is. No, it's horrible. Not it's even, like pop. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, but at that time there seemed to be a little bit of a movement, you know, kind of springing from the Flying Burrito Brothers yeah. to do something different. Emily Lou Harris and that crew, right? And then like, but I think they're a little younger, a little older than yeah, we are. Yeah, that was that was probably about a little a little bit ahead of my time when Emily Lou right. was coming out and all right. those people. I would have been like, you know, that would have been the late sixties and. You know, so I wasn't quite right, like out right. on my own doing that whole thing. But Steve Earle was doing like off, you know, out of the, you know, kind of off the grid country yeah. records uh, in the, what, the 80s, well, they didn't late really, 70s? See, that's the thing. They didn't know what to call it back then because they didn't have this whole Americana thing like they have now. Or right. Alternative country, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So, the, yeah. So, the, but he, so, I, I mean, I think he sort of ha- felt like he was falling through the cracks he, as well. He did, maybe did, but yeah. he made, he, he made it work somehow. I yeah. don't know. He well, he got successful before I did. So yeah. he got he just With got in there town, like early on, right? Yeah. He got in there sooner. By the time I made that, before that self-titled album, the yeah. one that has "Passionate Kisses" and yeah. all on it. But right before that album, I had those songs like "Passionate Kisses" and "Crescent City" and all that. But I couldn't get a record deal at all because they kept telling me I fell on the cracks between country and rock. Right. And that it was just like the worst time ever well, in what, the music was business. For, this would have been like the mid 80s. Right. But there were still like, who were some of those people? Are you friends with there Alejandro still, Escovito? Yeah, yeah. And what about Maria McKee and those? Weren't they kind of doing that? Weren't right also, around the time. That was that would have been like when I first moved out to L.A. in, in 1985. Right. They were gaining some notoriety. Yeah. What was her band Maria called? McKee, Lone Justice. Lone Justice and yeah. all that. Yeah. So, and then also the Blasters were around a little right, earlier. Right, the Blasters and Dwight Yoakam was just starting to peak. Yeah. And, so um, those were your like those were your peers, but you think? There, well, see, they were a little bit ahead of me but in terms right. of having already having record deals and all that. So you came to L.A. once before? Yeah. And then you ran away? Well, I got I came here in 1985, and I got that record deal with Rough Trade Records. Which for which album? For that self titled. Oh, right, right. One. For Lucinda Williams. And then all of a sudden, everybody said, "Where have you been all this time?" Yeah. And, you know, and RCA Records signed me, and then, you know. Yeah. And then I got caught up in that whole time when labels were starting and closing and falling, and people were getting fired and leaving, and yeah. you know, it was yeah. just, you know, so it wasn't until I got on. Uh, Lost Highway Records that I kind of found a home. Right. That's one of the reasons everybody says, oh, you know, you used to take so long in between albums. Well, 
a large part of that was because all these labels were going under. Yeah. You know, I, I, one, I, I was on Chameleon Records for one record, which was part of Electra, and then they went under, and so... Yeah. You know, and then I got signed to American Records with Rick Rubin, and then his label went under, and then finally ended up on Mercury. Has he ever reached out uh, recently to record you again? No, but he really wanted to work with me. He was was the executive producer initially for Car Wheels. Yeah. And then in in the middle of everything, American, it was going to come out on American Records, Car Wheels was. Because he's kind of he's kind of interesting. Like he's like one of those guys. It's like okay, I've got all the money in the world. Yeah. Why not just do some pure shit now? Do you like his Johnny Cash records? Yeah, I love it. I mean, well, he wanted to do something with me. He wanted. He, There's still time, Lucinda. He kind of <laughs> took me aside initially, and you know, at the time, I was very loyal and faithful to yeah. my, to my band at that time. Well, that's was, a, and he he saw. A lot of potential in me and said, you know, would you consider working with other musicians and all. And at the time I was, the idea of that was terrifying to me. I said, no, no, I'm, I've yeah. got my band These and I'm just going to work with them and, you know, that kind of thing. But I remember Rick set me down in his house in the Hollywood Hills and played me that PJ Harvey song that Flood had produced yeah. at the time. Um, and, you know, so he was kind of saying, look. It's out you know, there. He this saw, is some raw shit. He said, yeah. you know, he connected yeah. me with... Right. So, with, with with PJ. Sometimes I... Yeah. Well, that's interesting, because that makes sense to I me. know. And so he saw, and I wonder what had happened had I gone, let him kind of direct things more. And, well, and I think it, I think that album did pretty well. It, it did, did, it was yeah. a big record. The Carwell's album? Yeah. Yeah, it did. It was an amazing you know, record. I mean, it, it, it brought you to my attention. Everybody yeah. like was talking about you. I mean, That's I, the one that did, yeah. you know. I, I, I have uh, two ex-wives that, uh, you know, have, have gone and seen you. I'm not yeah. blaming you for anything. But <laughs> no, I read about, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, uh, about some of the, well... The thing is, though, the record on Rough Trade really was the thing that opened initially opened the we door. We sent the self-titled record, right? But is that the same band that's on Car Wheels? Yeah, it, it's the same band, except then I brought some other musicians in. Different producer, also. though. Well, what happened was Gerf Morlix was my guitar player and co-producer on the self-titled album and the Sweeter World album, and initially on Car Wheels. Yeah. And then in the middle of everything, we had a falling out, and he didn't, in terms of produce production sounds and all of that. Yeah. And I wanted to bring in Steve Earle to help work on the album. Yeah. Because Steve's album uh, was just coming out. Which one? El I feel Corazon. Right. Oh, El Corazon. And I listened to his rough mixes, and I just I loved the sound. Yeah. That he was getting with. He had been working with Ray Kennedy at little studio room and board and is that before or after i feel all right is that the one before because uh, i feel all right was like i've i love that record. Uh, i love el corazon too but it might be the same dudes maybe it was yeah it was the same guys yeah well he had brought me in to sing on that song you're still standing there yeah 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 it's great and so that's how i got turned on to steve and ray kennedy and their whole sound and i'd gotten tired of la so i'd moved to nashville in 93 and so this would have been, I don't know, whenever he was 95 or 96. Did you get tired of L.A. and like, you know, fuck you, L.A.? Oh, no, or... it was just, I was just, you know, tired of everything. It's so big. It's, you know, the city's so big and you never see anybody. And and you recorded blah, blah, Car blah, Wheels blah. in Nashville? We started recording it in Austin, Texas. 
How long did you live in Austin? I lived in Austin in the. Remember, I lived in Austin and Houston like in the seventies. Going and back and part forth. of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and then I moved to LA for six years, and I moved to Nashville for nine years, and I moved back to LA. So how do you? So you reached out to Steve. So or, uh, I re- I sang on Steve's album, yeah. and I listened to his tracks, what he was doing, and. I said, this is more how I want my album record. What was that specifically? Just bigger sounding, you know, fuller and bigger. Uh Uh-huh. You know? And did you, like, I'd heard that that you, on on Car Wheel specifically, that... Th- that n- there was not much overdubbing that you let the band play all together. Yeah, I always did. I always do that. You know, it but makes then a big I difference. Bring, yeah, I mean, there's always a little bit of overdubbing, right. you know, later because right. you're not sure yet what you want to put on something. Right. So initially, you know, you just record the basic tracks with the basic band, you know, guitar, bass, drums. Yeah, and maybe you might have something else. Maybe you might have but a at the same time. on some. At the same time, yeah, and then later you'll bring, maybe overdub another guitar part or something like that. So what know? happened with Steve? Well, we went, I wanted to, Gurf didn't want to work with Steve. And he felt threatened, and it was just, it was a nightmare. So it was a cockfight. Yeah, pretty much. And it was like, I was like, okay, Gurf, you know, I love you, I want to work with you. You know, he decided to leave. In that, in that. And he hasn't spoken to me since. Oh, my God. I know. I yeah. went to see him recently at the Hotel Cafe perform, and I ended up in tears at the bar. He refused to talk to me and wouldn't see me. And he and knew you were there. He so knew he hasn't, I was he hasn't there. let it go. He hasn't let it go. Isn't that weird about letting things yeah. go? Just like some things just got... Well, did you ever try to reach out to him? Yeah, yeah. Won't do it. I tried to reach out a lot of times. So it seems to me that, like, on, you know, the difference between, like, like Sweet Old World and, and, and Car Wheels was, like, there's, de- like, something happened to you musically and vocally. Can well, you identify? it sounds better. It's a better produced album. Yeah, but it's also, it, it's laid back. It rocks more. Yeah. You know, the guitars well, are Steve a little different. Was on, Steve was helping with that. He was, like... That's the thing. I mean, he got that. He added that whole sort of. It has you know, his drive to it. It's that almost like dro- a, yes, yeah, like a Stonesy. That's drive what almost. he had. That's what he did. And he that's just what rocked he did. It. He like he played the rhythm guitar on several tracks, and he like helped set set the tone. Uh huh. You know, for the songs like that. So that's you know, a, that's and a, are you guys still friends? Oh yeah. Oh, We've good. gotten to be better friends actually over the years. You know, I was really intimidated working with him i mean he he had just gotten out of jail he was a handful and <laughs> yeah i was like an emotional wreck because gurf had bailed on me and you know recording in a studio was still really you know and it still is a very kind of um you know i, I hadn't made that many records i right. mean i still haven't made compared to somebody like steve right you know and I would get all insecure about a vocal I'd done, you know, and Steve would go, Lou, it's just a record. Get over it. You know, God damn it. You know, yeah, and yeah, I'd yeah. be like, eh. one time I was curled up in the fetal position on the floor in the fucking sound booth, and Steve's going, fuck this shit. I'm going to New Orleans. I've had enough, you know. And he left? So, no, no, but you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We just butt heads like crazy. 
Yeah, I worked with him at uh, Air America, and I did his show. Right? Yeah. So you know what I'm talking... He's just like, boom, boom, boom. Oh, he will not stop talking. Yeah, he I is mean, just boom, but he likes to work really quickly. You know, yeah. go in, put it down, boom, yeah. that's it, next thing. And I'm much more sort of deliberate. I like to be kind of take my time a little bit, and maybe I want to try this, maybe I want to try that kind of thing, so... Yeah, and he was know. like, got his story, like the... It's like, I'm sober, and whatever... Yeah. The- <laughs> Whatever that he went through, thing. yeah, it, it it is. He's still talking about that. You yeah, know? I mean, it's it, like, <laughs> but like his story, uh, you know. Oh like my about, god, he, I, it was like way. I know, unbelievable. Like he told me one time about being fucked up on, you know, I don't know what alcohol, coke, and some kind of pills or something. And yeah, he had one of those things that you put your feet over and hang upside down right you yeah, know? yeah 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 and he was doing that fucking thing like <laughs> all fucked up like you know yeah he just had story after story when we were in the studio together it was like you know he loves to talk man oh and he's yeah. got good stories got big yeah. ideas he i mean just he's goes. still come up with you know like i was he called me a while back about something and I looked, I saw a number pop up, and it was the 615 area code, which is Nashville. And, of course, now he's living in New York City. Yeah. And he has been Smoking a, a pipe, I think. I, 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 yeah. He's wearing, he's wearing those corduroy blazers. I know. Blazers. He's, he's doing the he's professor like thing. He's like a Mr. Poet guy now. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so I called him back, and I said, Steve, I didn't recognize your number at 615. He says, this is the same phone number I've had since I got out of jail in Nashville. <laughs> And it's the same phone number I'm going to have for the rest of my life. You know, he'll say stuff. He's committed like that. to it. Yeah, I know you're you're compelled towards uh towards uh to ruffians and gypsies and rock and roll. Well, aren't we all? I mean, yeah, I am. Know. Yeah, hell yeah. I yeah. mean, I mean, I built my life around it. I mean, I never had sports heroes. It was for me. It was like Keith Richards, oh, and yeah. William Burroughs. It was like those were the guys. Right. Like that song, "Too Cool to Be Forgotten," is a beautiful song. Thanks. And but you didn't end up getting too fucked up. I've made it through. I mean, you know, I could have. But yeah. see, I had I was very close with my dad and there was that bond thing and I didn't want to disappoint him and that's so, not to say I didn't go through my share of I mean, when I think back on the stuff I did in high, mostly in junior high and high school. Okay. Which is one of the reasons I'm a big advocate for legalizing marijuana because uh-huh. let me tell you, the kids, we yeah. at school yeah. would go get to the drugstore right and buy over-the-counter pharmaceutical shit to get high with which, that could have killed us like what but if we like had been NyQuil able to get pot cough syrup and yeah i drank a bo- whole bottle of rum or cough syrup one and time. did it work yeah we're i mean i puked my guts out and my heart was racing 90 miles an hour and you know no i think but, yeah obviously i mean we would do all this shit like that like Every week it was a different thing, mm-hmm. you know. Like one mm-hmm. one week it was my doll, uh, my doll, my doll pills. Yeah, I took like five of them one time when and I was at school. Did it? What does that do? I don't know. Somebody <laughs> said you could get high, get a buzz or whatever. It was all about just you know. But my most shameful was... uh, moment was snorting. <laughs> I ground up <laughs> at, late at night after we were wasted. Me and another guy ground up 
uh, Vivran. You remember that over the counter stay up caffeine oh, pill? Oh yeah. So we God. chopped that into lines, oh. and we were snorting. Oh no, my God! Snorting Vivran. I never did that. And some guy walked in and saw us doing that, and we, we had all that yellow shit in our nose, and he just looked at us and said, "I'm yeah. not going to tell anyone I saw this." And yeah. Out. It was Morning glory seas was another. That one. was bullshit. Yeah. But everybody's like, or smoking banana peels. No, that's that. No, I that's know. Not. What a so you, this was you did high school in uh, New Orleans? Yeah, I went to a public inner city school. But in everybody New fucking drink. You drink on the street in New Orleans. I mean, when I was in high school, we got people to buy booze for us. You must have been able to get booze. Yeah, I don't know if I was a big. I I was more about you know smoking pot and getting right whatever. I don't really remember. I mean, I did drink. I drank at home with my dad you know <laughs> my stepmother where, i mean they taught me how to drink my, i would mix drinks for him at parties and stuff honey can you go make me a vodka tonic or gin and tonic <laughs> so you that was in the summer gin and tonic so you knew how to make drinks that, that's yeah good. Where, where was your mom my mother after my parents split up she stayed in new orleans so she had her own apartment down there and you know, I would go visit her, go back and forth. So every weekend, or was it? No, no. Out? Well, this was later after we moved to Fayetteville, mm -hmm. and my dad was at the University of Arkansas. And did know, they have a, a, an okay relationship? They had an okay relationship. I mean, you know, how'd you end up with your dad? I mean, that seems like you never hear that. Well, because that happened. Yeah, I know, especially back then, because yeah. my mother was an alcoholic and had mental illness. She oh, was yeah. the, just. My dad said she was just, you know. I guess um, diagnosed with, yeah, uh, manic depressive with paranoid schizophrenic tendencies. Wow. Yeah. Whatever that means. Well, so, it means, you know, you get manic and yeah, you, know, you think paranoid the world's closing and, in on you. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a whole nother. We would take, we need more time, really. <laughs> you know, <laughs> to, to deal I with mean, that? so, but, you know, we grew up, my dad would always. But that's why we went with my dad, because she wasn't capable of taking care of us, and she was very well aware of that, you know. So she, she my, didn't fight it. My mother, no, she was brilliant and funny and talented and beautiful and, you know, but she grew up in that age like Sylvia Plath. Right. You know, where women didn't talk about that stuff. Right. And they didn't know about antidepressants. They I mean, she was really put there. on lithium. Right. But lithium was just, that would make her feel bad and feel horrible. And yeah. She would go off of it and yeah, that kind of thing. So it was just a really difficult I, time to be mentally ill in her back absolutely. in that day, you know. Uh, and my dad, it didn't really show up until after they were married, mm -hmm. which I guess happens sometimes. I don't know why. But, and mid, my dad's bipolar, and it, like in his yeah, mid forties, it started like that. Was yeah, you know. that's what ha my dad describes it like. I was sitting at the table with your mother, and we were having dinner, and all of a sudden, she looked across the table at me with this you know just hostility in her face and yeah. just kind of snapped yeah and you know from, and she and it was a different person he just felt that there was yeah, some, yeah. she would just get hostile yeah you know yeah just, and he, he couldn't she had her. a lot of baggage from her family life yeah, yeah. her Arkansas? dad was, no louisiana, no, she was louisiana. From, her, okay her dad was a methodist minister and oh my god hellfire and brimstone no way. kind of thing yeah she had four brothers, and you know, um, we they... think there might have been some sexual abuse yeah, in yeah, the family yeah. and all of that. You right. know, which, and so she was at therapy all of my life. I mean, oh, she she was proactive. That's great. Oh though. yeah, she was at therapy and in and out of mental institutions, and you know, but my dad was always, you know, he would say, 
your mother can't help it. She's not well. Right. So there was never. Right. You know, he no wanted vindic- us to not understand. Not vindictive and not, you know. Yeah. Right. right. Um, and you were able to maintain the relationship. So I was able to maintain the relationship and, you know. It's interesting but, that, it, it, like, because I, I think about myself and I think about your father, that there's something about, you know, people who are at the edge of whatever they're at the edge of. That yeah. They're very compelling, you, you know, until they're over the edge. And right. Then, and then it's hard to know what the hell to do. Yeah. So did you have to visit your mom in mental hospitals and stuff? No, I didn't. You weren't part of that? That was, I was young. or oh, right, I was right. like, you know, a child and I would be you know more protected from it like and, yeah you know um, he wasn't going to put you through that your dad well i didn't wasn't really it's not like she was in a mental hospital for that long of a time it would just be sort of oh for a few days i guess get yeah. her leveled off and... it was kind of it was sort of a blur for me growing up like i i didn't even realize that she had a drinking problem until much later because i was so used to seeing her on medication that she would just be kind of slurring her speech and she would just say I'm on my medication. Right. You know. Right. And so I just had that locked in my brain that, okay, there is my mother. I love her. She has, she's mentally ill, and she's, she takes medicine for her mental illness. And I just kind of put it there, you know. And yeah. It wasn't until I was probably in my early 20s when I would go visit her once I was sort of an adult. Right. And, you know, when she would drink, she would just check out. She, she would just like rager, she would live. She wasn't abusive. She or anything. no. She yeah. would just check out. She would hang out in her bedroom with the door closed and her nightgown on, and you mm-hmm. know it'd be like, mm-hmm. just you know that out. she wasn't like a social right drinker kind she of. She was a yeah uh, isolation more, isolation. Yeah. Well, it's 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 great that your father sort of put it into context for you, so you didn't have to grow up with that you know idea that you could help or that yeah. you know it was your job to fix her and that kind of stuff because that makes people right. pretty crazy. Well, he would help me too by saying, you know, like if I was having problems, he would say, "Honey, you know, it's not your fault. You, you know, your mother locked you in a closet when you were three. Or, you know, he, my you dad remember was, that, did I, you? No, of course not. But <laughs> So now you knew. Apparently, you know, my dad came home from work one day. My yeah. mother was, and I was like being a, th- whatever three-year-olds do and, you know, crying. And she, or, and she just kind of was like, you know, <laughs> and so. Get in the know, closet. <laughs> You're not going to shut up. Close the door. Closet treatment. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I got so used to that kind of analysis when i was growing up my dad was really into into sigmund freud and you know oh so he was he was a he was a an amateur was, therapist i guess or yeah, you yeah. know he would just say well you know subconsciously you da 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 you know so and my mother studied she was at therapy so long yeah. i mean from the time i was born pretty much yeah that, you know she would yeah. talk to me about carl jung and all this stuff and she had so all she the had books. a handle on it Oh, yeah, she knew all the stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, she Couldn't was, apply any of it, necessarily. Right, she tried <laughs> to apply it, you know, but... Um, well, if you're fighting with chemicals, you know, with the... You know, with and the, they and didn't it. have good antidepressants nah. like they have today. Yeah, you know, lithium just the knocked thing. them out. Oh, that was, it was horrible mm. stuff. She hated it. Made them feel numb and, you know, they couldn't... Yeah. yeah. Like it, like it, it made it made everything sort of like uh, fuzzy. Probably, yeah. Did yeah. you find like in looking at like your life or your songs that that are there things in you that you not necessarily blame your parents for, but that you feel scarred from, 
I mean, outside, well, of I course. Hear it. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. Yeah. You know, what I'm talking about and all the songs and everything. It is But, you obvious. know, I don't want to be one of these. But do you do See, any- that's what separates me, I think, as a songwriter is, you know, there's that fine line between, I call it the sort of sitting on the edge of your bed kind of songs. Yeah. Like, you know, those kind of songwriters that you hear sometimes, it's like, Ooh, I'm, you know, it's all about yeah. me and this, and right. it's all like, oh. Right. Well, I mean, there's a, that fine line, you know, you don't want to get too um Too in- inside your head. You well, want it to be you relatable. you want it to be relatable. Right. And, some, and I learned how to do that. And I think maybe because I sort of had that, I don't know what you want to call it, like a checking thing like a lot of it was my dad with his writing i mean he was like he was like my writing mentor right i would show him lyrics and, yeah you know he would teach me just real basic tenets of what not to do you know like don't you like refrain from cliches yeah, you know like right. the moon and june and sure. the stars in your eyes and yeah the poet's wine or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. that kind of thing. And Anything that looks so like it might was, be on a greeting card. Exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah, so he kind of like, you know, I didn't, somehow I had that ability to kind of watch, look at, at myself. Well, some of your Get stuff Get outside is, of myself and look at myself. Well, it's interesting you know? that Rick Rubin made this analogy between you and PJ because like when I first listened to Car Wheels, you know, compared to your other stuff, you know, the song, uh, uh, You Took My Joy, what's it called, Joy? Yeah. I mean, that thing for me was was so raw and I yeah. like, I listened to it today and it didn't seem to have the same effect it had on me first listening to it, but I was like, holy fuck, this woman is putting herself out there. Yeah. And and that seemed to happen with that Good. record. Your voice seemed to change. Do you know my voice and also my courage as a writer? You know, because that was the other thing. I mean, I was so impressed with, you know, like some of the points my dad would write. For instance, would he could write about a cat sleeping in the window or yeah. a wreck on the highway? Right. You know, yeah. and and a lot of and that's what poetry did. Right. And. And novels, also in short stories. I, I really preferred, I loved uh, Flannery O'Connor and yeah, Edora Welty and all, you know, because of the darkness and the real realism darkness. of yeah. it. Yeah, and they were and able the to beauty, create characters. And the beauty, just that dark beauty, yeah. you know. And so I, d- I wanted to be able to go there as a songwriter, you know, and, and, and not, it, my dad used to say, don't ever censor yourself. Like, that was one of the rules. And when did you stop doing that? Or when did you, like, find well, that you really... it was probably just a gradual thing, you know, could, I think it was just growing like anything you know you just get better as you go along and well you recovered uh which one uh, i lost it is that the yeah that was initially on my second focus album and then if you listen to those two versions though yeah the emotional depth right that that it has on on car wheels it's like it's a whole different thing yeah and yeah. and why that's why that song? Did you feel like it was deeper than you were able I don't to handle know. when you, know, you first recorded it? I'm not really sure how that came about. You know, I think I was just maybe talking about re-recording one of those old songs or something. I, I'm not really sure to tell you the truth. I I think I worked with that with Gurf. We kind of, I think I know what it was. We just started performing it. It came out of a live, live oh, thing. Right, right, right. Because I was doing, you know, I'd still do some of the songs off the folkways, like Happy Woman Blues or whatever. Yeah. I used to do that with Gurf with the band. I lost it, and we just figured out a new arrangement for it. 
So why, like, I like because I, I when I talk to songwriters, like I, I just insist, uh, even though it's not usually true, that they've lived through everything in their songs. Yeah. Uh, and and I and some people that I talk to are like, no, I did, I just made it up, and I'm like, no, you got to be. That I wish guy. I could do that. Good. I mean, well, that would a, be great. I'm so happy to I, hear I that. I think I would be able to write. <laughs> well, I was always impressed with how Bob Dylan apparently could read an article in the newspaper mm-hmm. and create a song out of it, like the song about Hurricane Carter. He's a little I tricky, Bob. You know Dylan. what I mean? He's a little tricky. Yeah, I, like you, you know, it, it's even now as fascinated as I am with him, and I just got. Like um, blonde on blonde on a new vinyl pressing, oh, getting all the records. That's one. That's that one in Highway Six Storm Revisited. Right. Those just, are the ones that they're just mind blowing. I can't yeah. like Visions of Joanna. I can't even. I don't no, even know, know what to do with that I know. fucking song, man. And then when I you know. when you see him sort of shift, like he's like a shapeshifter, you know? Yeah. Like you don't know what's really in there, what isn't in there, and, and you know what it, it, what's easy for him and what's hard for him. But it yeah. doesn't matter. The distance between you want him to be this guy, but he tends to avoid that at all costs. Yeah, he says that, but I don't know. Yeah. Have you ever met him? Yeah, I've met him. He's very, you know kind of i mean i've just briefly I, well, I went out and opened some shows yeah in the 90s when he was touring with van morrison that's another one where, uh, that's another hell? one astral weeks where the fuck does that come from am i right i just ordered it's, it on vinyl again i know it's like this spirituality it's like this sort of you know alcoholic you know I, I, stumbling around guy who's this kind of has this whole spiritual well, sort of thing. Well, he channels something, and in, term, in terms of like the darkness, like that on Astral Weeks, even the song, like the the one song the, that kills me outside, well, Madam George and and the other one, but that yeah. one at the end, that swim slow slider, where where it's just like this weird fragment of a song yeah. about this girl that just gets, I think she dies, and you're not, it's not, it's not clear, but like I'm just sitting in my car and I'm like squirting out tears, and I don't even know what yeah. that. It's like I don't know where it comes from. That's but, the thing. That's the. There aren't too many of them. Yeah, well, I mean, you do it too. I, I will squirt out tears well, during your songs. You. Now, that's what I want you to do. I, <laughs> I, that's yeah, the thing. no dancing, just crying. <laughs> no dancing. No, I want the dancing too, but <laughs> dance and cry because of what we were talking about before. I was going to say I like to be, push people's buttons. I like to kind of, you know, yeah, make people think or feel, you know, feel and think and. Well, do you, you, know. do you do anything like outside of writing songs? Do you do anything that you, you know, to keep your sanity in check? Do you, do, are you involved in some sort of spiritualness or no. something? No. Well, you know, not formally or anything. Right, I right. mean, I've explored a lot of the same stuff you probably have. Yeah. You know? Like what? Um, well, I, I got into this, that little book, The Four Agreements, this guy, Don Miguel Ruiz. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. and I thought it was beautiful. It's yeah. very mythological, and yeah. you know, but not a day to day. I'm very thing. drawn. Well, it's not really a thing that. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're very drawn to what? I'm very drawn to uh, Latin American, Mexican culture. Uh-huh. And, you know, the the art. From yeah, the, yeah. The, all the Santeria stuff. Sure, you know? sure. Yeah. Um, it's sexy. It's bloody. It is. <laughs> it's bloody. It's you're painful. The, you're the only. Not there. It's hard to explain because, you know, people come over to to the house and I have this wall of crosses. I collect different. Yeah. You know, because it's like works of art. Oh, absolutely. And you know the the bleeding Jesuses and the yeah, there's you know, something... all that the Sacred Hearts. Yeah. And the, oh, oh yeah. It's just hearts with thorns I'm around. I'm drawn. Them. Yeah. And like... it's just the symbolism and. 
Well, Jesus, you know? uh, the pain of Jesus has, has been very appealing for a lot of years to a lot of people. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. It's, I mean, he did it for all of us, apparently. <laughs> but uh, but that art in particular yeah. is, is disturbing. And where I grew up it in New disturbing. Mexico, the, oh, pen, the that's, see, that's the thing. you know about those guys? The penitentes who march and fl- oh, flagellate yes. themselves and carry the cross I've got once a, a year. A painting that Luke Lewis from Lost Tower Records gave me, an yeah. old, like an antique. Um, it almost looks like a lithograph or yeah. something um, of that. Um, of the, of walking the, the down the street. Yes. Yeah, they do yes. it. They still do no, it. I, it's just the whole Catholic thing with well that's the santeria voodoo mixed with catholicism it's just how how can you lose i mean that's like that's the blues and (laughs) something even more exotic and different yeah i i love that i love it too and i was noticing this area where you're living as we were driving down yeah one of the main streets it's like juarez down there it's like, well, I read how you lived in Queens. I did live in Queens. For a long time. Yeah. And I'm driving through here and I'm thinking, this is like Queens, Queens almost. <laughs> it's a little interesting. It's the, the, well, the original Mexican culture who settled here, now you've got the hipsters coming in. They're just starting to come in. And with just the little now, hipster shops With their bookstores and, and their comic book stores and their coffee. Yeah. Right next to these hand-painted signs exactly. for beauty next products. Exactly. Yeah, and candles. Yeah. On the, the West record... I mean, am I am I wrong, or did, was was some of that uh, fueled by spite? <laughs> um, a couple of songs, huh? No, you I mean, mean there are a couple of songs the, on the on the West record. Yeah, well, that was that, right after my mother died, and well, I was had been in this horrible, abusive relationship. So that was in there. The there was definitely that was some uh, some songs about that dude. Yeah, there yeah they were that, good. There was that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was pretty fucked up. That was my last fucked up one. Yeah. And what was he? Well, no, there was do? one right after that, sort of. But so you were in an abusive relationship, double, and your mother passed away. Yeah, double whammy. Double whammy. And that's what that's what that album comes out of. Yeah, there was that. There were actually enough songs to do two albums. Actually, West, and then Little Honey right after that. Same, Little, same. Little jam. Honey has a lot of the songs left over from the West period, and mm-hmm. it was kind of frustrating because when West, I wanted it to be a double album, and just as a writer, once I've you know, I want to get that stuff out and move on. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. Um, why didn't you? Why The they label were... didn't want to do a double CD thing. And for whatever reason, you know, they'd have to charge more money. And they were worried people wouldn't want to spend the money. And I don't know. It was a business decision. So. And how many songs um, did you write about your mother? I, I know there's the one sort of like that two chord riff with the ocean. And Mama, the, you're sweet. Yeah. 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 I and love you, Mommy. Fancy Funeral. Fancy Funeral is a fucking amazing song. Yeah. What's the songwriting um, process for you? I mean, do you just wait? Do you sit and do it actively? Do you carry I pads do of it paper all the with time. you? Right. My mind's constantly going. Does it come in fragments or sometimes whole songs? Fragments, usually. And I just, I'm always writing stuff down and writing ideas down and or writing a little hook or a line or a verse or something. And then it kind of all piles up and then at some something i don't know what Put it together is the pieces i sit down and get everything out and kind of yeah at that moment is it like what like what what moment drives you there Are, is it a moment where you're tired of yourself or that you're like <laughs> like you know what the fuck am i gonna do with all this stuff i need to do something new yeah i don't know it's just i have a i i kind of i'm not real disciplined you yeah. know in terms okay. of getting yeah, up yeah. and writing every day no, trying to finish a song every day how can you do that 
Um, Why but, would you, but you're incredibly prolific. So, well, I, mean, I have been more so since starting with the songs. It was kind of like the floodgates opened up with, you know, with the, the, the West, that period. Yeah, so that dude, that, did he hear the songs? Do you know? Did he? Yeah, he's heard them. <laughs> there is another guy briefly. Um, this is your new a guy? A little fling thing. This before, is your new guy? Yeah, it's Tom. This is your husband. This is my husband and my soulmate. Now, have you been married before? I was briefly married <laughs> to... Um, he was a drummer in this band, The Long Riders, oh, back in the that. 80s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they had a couple albums out yeah, on, yeah. on Island uh-huh. Records. And we were married. We lived together for about a year or so, and then we got married, and it lasted about a year. And mm-hmm. now we're friends. In fact, he's my publisher at Warner Chapel. So, so you're, that's good that you had Yeah, that's, that's, I'm friends with all my all my. Not exes. that dude that you wrote um, about on West. No. It's better, you know, yeah, just yeah. not to... Talk about it? Or did... Yeah. Okay. Well, no. I mean, I don't care. It doesn't bother me to talk about it, but it was just like, you know... But I love those he was songs. A, he was in rehab. He was at living at a sober living house when I met him. Yeah. And you know I didn't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I didn't know about all that, you know. You and didn't? He, Come on. Well, no, but I mean, he didn't tell me, you know, oh, about him. Whatever. You knew about it. Later, you know, it all started coming but out. In but in general, you knew about I it. I didn't realize. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah. But, you know, you know, he'd been a, had problems with heroin before. Yeah. Then he started at some point during towards the end of our relationship, he started using again. And right. I'd never been around anyone high on heroin before doing dope i never got i never was in that scene at all right and you know he was trying to kick he thought he could just do a little bit and it it was like he had the flu or something and it wouldn't go away he kept saying he had the flu well the symptoms were like that oh okay and then he was was and i said well we better get you to the doctor you know this is going on dragging on and he finally broke down and said you know i've been i've been doing it yeah yeah and then he was was doing gray and sweaty You know, and then he almost died, and he said, you know, I was upstairs at our apartment. He was downstairs. Yeah. It was amazing how it was right under my nose, and I didn't know. Well, that's that's the whole weird thing about the that's codependent the trip. He you would know? go downtown. He'd be like, oh, I'm going to go downtown. I mean, I've got some some art missing. Oh, You God. know, there's some stuff. Yeah. My Get Right With God Grammy went yeah. missing. No. He, yeah. stole, he stole your Grammy well, and sold it? I think probably you know he denied it i asked him about it i bet you that thing shows up eventually it's somewhere (laughs) in a fucking pawn pawn shop shop downtown la i don't know so you got you got you got you got hustled by a junkie oh man how long were you with him too long i don't know a couple years all right i know what it's like the battered woman syndrome though i know what that's like now yeah you know i know what that's like because i was there and you know, it's they talk about this, but it's like you just numb yourself. Mm-hmm. It's really weird. I don't know. I've never been you got, anything you put, like that. You put blinders on. You don't even realize it's, it's happening. It's right there. Bizarre. Yep. I mean, like when he started drinking, he wasn't drinking at first, and he would drink whiskey, and he would just. It was like Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Sure. And he wouldn't know who I was. Yeah. And oh, we're he got at the blackout. Pe- he would just like jump on top. He would be like, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, we yeah, were at yeah. the Peabody Hotel. Yeah. 
And he went down to the bar, and I was getting ready for bed. And he and, came up to the room, and it was like, I'm like getting ready. I'm tired. Yeah, yeah, Let's yeah. go to bed. Yeah, yeah. It's like, Argh. and he's like, you know, he didn't trying have to take my clothes off. Right. And it's like, and he's like, the next thing I know, he's like on top of me, like holding my neck down with his arm. And I'm going, okay, now it's okay. I'm going to fucking die. I'm yeah. going to fucking die. I got to get out. It took all my. That you was know, the moment. That was the moment. That was where the you moment. This I went, isn't Holy healthy. shit! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. and his eyes were like as big as saucers. Like, oh man, he didn't know who I was, or so I don't know. He was in a blackout, right? Did he wake and up like, and not remember it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then, like, I tried to call downstairs, and he slammed the receiver down. And then, now both of us are completely naked at this point, right? right. So I'm like fighting for my life. Mm-hmm. So I go and run and open the hotel door, and he follows me out <laughs> into the hallway. You're both there. naked in the hallway, right? Yeah. And the door closes to the room. <laughs> now we're locked out and naked, and I'm sitting like in a fetal position, like trying to cover myself up. And he's now like snapping out of it, and he's laying like spread eagle, buck naked on the fucking hallway outside the hotel door, going, "Fuck." They're going to call the cops. I'm going to go to jail. They're going to call the cops. That's all he could think about. And I'm sitting there like this trying to cover myself up. Well, God bless the Peabody Hotel in Memphis. Yeah. Because a, a guy came. Yeah. He saw it, I guess, on the thing. Right. right. On the monitor. Yeah. And he comes with a key. Yeah. Doesn't look at either one of us because they. <laughs> somebody said, you know what? They've seen this before. <laughs> They've got... You know, the football players yeah, stay yeah. there. Sure, you know, the Peabody sure. of Memphis, well, they see it Another Saturday all. night at the Peabody. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so so there, he just like, God bless him, you know, he walks up and just opens the door with the key and just like walks away. Nobody ever says a thing. It's like, what happens at the Peabody stays at the Peabody right, right. kind of sure, thing. Sure. And then, of course, the next day, you know, he didn't. Yeah, and and yeah, that, was the, that was I the breaking said, point, though? you know what happened last night, you know? Was that it, though? That moment was like that, I, I got to get out of here. Well, no. See, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. You know, you think, oh, no. This, Did you get to see the ducks, at least? Forget, after... Forgive me, you know, and all oh, this. Oh, sure, right. The begging yeah. and the crying. I'm going to change. Yeah. And, yeah, I've, I've been on the other side of that. Not not as crazy as he yeah. was, it seems, but I, I've been that guy. But I, I feel like, I mean, not to sound mm-hmm. all, you know, but... Everything happens, you know, for a reason. That's my spirituality thing. Well, I mean, that's, when I get to, you know, right. I've been to Al-Anon meetings and stuff. And, yeah, you know, I really, I, I mean, I believe in that. Let go and let God. Yeah, Al-Anon. Yeah, it's, Al-Anon, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. What else can you do? Well, it, it's you like, got you got to put it. What else can you fucking do? You know, it's like that's it. Well, that's, you got to protect yourself and know that you, you know that you it's not your responsibility. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you were sort of. You know, born to uh, to handle that, having the exactly. the mother you had. So I mean, you're kind of wired that way. But those songs were uh, those I were was great. Wired that way, and it's amazing that I didn't. Well, you, you went know, to, yeah. go there. I mean, Clyde, the guy I wrote like Charles about. There was a little bit of that in our relationship. I mean, there was de- it was definitely tumultuous. Yeah. But he would just take a plate of food and throw it sort of over my head, and it would hit the wall. Yeah, you know that kind of thing. Right. You know, yeah, or ne- threatened to put me in Brackenridge Hospital. Right, but never touch, put hands ne- on me. Never, yeah. He was drama queen. This other guy was like right on, like right. I would be sitting, you know, he pushed me off a stool or something. Does he still bother you? 
No, right. no, no. Oh, okay. He's, well, that's good. She sobered up. Hopefully, he still is. That's a that's a it's a hell of a story. Yeah. Did you see the ducks though? At some point, I've seen the ducks. Yeah, I don't know what it, you know. It was like <laughs> I, did, I thought. I it was can't believe be a... I'm telling all this. See, you're. They were right about you. What I'm just sitting here. They were right. <laughs> see, no, you're like a therapist. <laughs> they talked about that. In I the... thought it was going to be a duck story. It turned I out thought... to be a lot darker than a duck story. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me about the that he came up and he kidnapped the ducks. That they walk down that dumb red carpet to that fountain every morning at the Peabody. I can see why the women you were married to were drawn to you. Mm. Well, that's very flattering coming from you. You're a Scorpio. No, I'm a Scorpion. I'm a Libra. No, I thought you're... Wait. Oh, that's right. You're the... the... Thank God you're not a Scorpio. Why? We'd be in trouble? Everybody be in trouble in the room? Tom's a Libra. No, but some I've been with some of the most enigmatic men I've been drawn to for some reason. Scorpios? I've also been, you know. Well, yeah. it's good to be a Libra. No, I just that, see a yeah. little sort of a... Uh, yeah, it's Scorpio mixed. It's, it's Libra mixed with manic depression. It's good. Like I, <laughs> I'm not clinically... <laughs> Clinically bipolar, but I, I think that the, uh, the the depressive father well, gives me this Scorpio got that, moment. Those eyes uh-huh, and that very yeah. intelligent look, <laughs> and you are intelligent. You're funny. What's not to love? Oh, thank you. Well, thank you. That's I don't want a, you to feel bad because your marriages didn't work out. I mean, oh, uh, are y'all still me. friends? Why? I don't have children. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's, it, what's the point of friendship? Look. <laughs> Look, the second one, I was, you know, I got sober like 13 years ago and I grabbed hold of that woman and I just held on yeah. and drained her of her life force. Right. Al-Anon <laughs> is what broke up my marriage. That, that, see, when you like, I believe Al-Anon's a great thing. Yeah. But at that time I was like, who the fuck are these people and what does detachment mean? Look at me. <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> That. So I, I've been through Every, the other side. You of were that. too analytical. No, I was like or... emotionally needy and angry. Yeah, and yeah. You, you know, you can't. You know, it's it took. It, you, honestly, her leaving me was the key to any peace of mind I ever had. Because you know, you think, especially when you're an alcoholic or you're nuts like that, that you have some sort of control and that you will always be forgiven and that you can just do that shit. Right. It's like, I'm sorry, baby. I didn't. You're. I didn't mean to hurt oh, you. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and, and it doesn't matter whether it's alcohol or drugs. Don't, don't matter or, what it is. Or you're just fucked up mentally That's right. or That's whatever. Right. It's just always the eventually, over and over excuses, excuses. Yeah, eventually then, that person is going to be exhausted of that shit yeah. if you don't help your. So I learned a big lesson. It was great to have my ass handed to me. Well, how long have you guys been together? Um, we got married in 2009, but we've been together all together now for seven. Well, congratulations. Years. He seems like a very peaceful kind of Buddha guy. He is, but he has his, he's one of those, you know, yeah. tall, handsome, yeah, seemingly quiet guys who... <laughs> If he if his but if he pushes button or something, yeah. he's got his okay, his I, little I, moodiness. I, I've, thing. I've never done any couples counseling, but I think this is going to be <laughs> this. This might be a first on the show. <laughs> After this interview, <laughs> I, I can refer you to a guy. <laughs> well, you want to sing? That's, that's great. Do you want to sing songs? I guess if you want me to. Yeah, like which songs? Thank you. 
he had a reason to get back to Lake Charles. He used to talk about it. He just called it on. He always said Louisiana was where he felt at home. He was born in Nacogdoches. That's in East Texas, not far from the border. But he liked to tell everybody he was from Lake Charles. Did an angel whisper in your ear and hold you close and take away your fear in those long last moments? We used to drive through Lafayette and Baton Rouge In the yellow Camino Listen to Howlin' Wolf He liked to stop in Lake Charles Cause that's the place he loved Did you run? About as far as you could go Down the Louisiana Highway Across Lake Pontchartrain Now your soul is in Lake Charles No matter what they say Did an angel Whisper in your ear And hold you close And take away your fear In those long Last moments Did an angel Whisper in your And hold you close And take away your fear In those long Last moments In those long Last moments Oh my God, <laughs> that was unbelievable! I don't even know how to handle it. That was beautiful. Did that sound okay? Sounded great. Okay. So great to talk to you and listen to you. I hope you had a nice time. I did have a nice time. All right. That's it. How great was that? How great was that? Can I even, I can't even fucking say. 
Go to WTF Pod. I love Lucinda Williams. Can I say that again? Go to, go to WTF Pod. I love her. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. Get on the mailing list, kick in a few shekels, comment, check the episode guide, get the app, upgrade to the premium app, get the, the first 100 episodes on DVD, check out the Lipson deal they got over there. And then, uh, you know, do what you got to do. Please stay well. Try not to get this cold. It's not good. And try not to get the flu, all right? Wear a mask like the Asian people do. Um, is that racist? Because I, I see a lot of Asian people wearing masks. But I don't think it's racist. Maybe that's too specific. Look, I'm not going to parse all that shit. I got to go. I have to go. All right? I have to go. Yeah, I'm going to go in just a second. Is this guitar in tune? Something like that. I didn't practice. All right. Whatever. Oh, that was out of tune. Look, Boomer lives. Boomer lives.